Emily is a young woman who has recently broken up with her boyfriend. She's devastated, obviously. She would say that this is a breakup like the many others before. Their relationship started out great. They hit it off, were very compatible, um, excited to see each other, spending lots of time together. And then one day Emily starts to feel a little differently. She starts to notice that she's feeling really jealous. She's feeling really insecure. She's not trusting him anymore. The boyfriend she was with says, Emily's getting really clingy. She's too needy. He's tired of reassuring her all the time that he's committed to the relationship. So he breaks up with her and her worst fear has come true. She begins to feel hopeless that she'll never find love that lasts and ultimately that she's unlovable. So she gets stuck in a depression. She feels lonely. She lacks confidence to keep dating and she cries a lot but never feels better for it. Karen, a married mother of two who are both now teenagers. Her older son Matthew, doing great at school. He's a wonderful student, has lots of friends, and he's involved in all kinds of sports, doing very well. Karen thinks, I must be doing something right. Matthew is a great kid. However, Karen's younger son, David, he hates school. He strongly resists going every day. He'd rather stay home and play video games with his online friends. This really distresses Karen because she thinks she fears that David is never going to be successful in life. She wonders what did she do wrong in raising David and asks him, why can't you be more like your brother? If Karen gets feedback at work from her manager that she hasn't done something well, she is crushed. She also wishes that her husband would notice all the jobs that she does to keep the house running. She often feels taken for granted. Will, he works for the family business. He's a married guy with a child under two. When he has a bad day at work, which seems more often these days, he takes, out, takes it out on his wife by being overly critical and condescending towards her. When she asks about his day, he says it was fine, but he continues to give her the cold shoulder. He feels stuck in his role and he doesn't want to let his dad down. The thought of doing something else seems daunting and impossible. He becomes kind of like a numb rock in an attempt to endure his life, which he feels he has no control over. What is common about these three people? Maybe you're wondering. What is common is that they are stuck in a pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting in ways that aren't working for them. The thing is, they learned those patterns when they were young, and that was a way of coping with their situations at that time. However, it's not working for them anymore. For example, let's think of Emily again. She was raised by parents whose love she felt was conditional. They weren't always present for her because they were caught up in their own conflict in their marriage. So to survive this, Emily would work very hard to earn their affection by becoming a very good dancer 
and taking great care in how she looks. Karen was bullied in school. Everyone thought she was overweight. So to compensate, she would work hard in her classes and achieve good grades so that she could have the praise of her teachers. But she was never satisfied with her accomplishments and she always felt like she needed to be doing more to be good enough. Will grew up in a home where nothing was ever talked about. If someone had a problem, you just keep a stiff upper lip and muscle through it. Dad's drinking was never acknowledged and it was an unspoken expectation that everyone should just sweep it under the rug. So maybe you can relate to one or more of these people on some level. I know that I can. The reality is that we all hold certain core beliefs about ourselves that can be limiting and untrue. These core beliefs are negative and they cause us to create kind of a persona about ourselves as a way of coping, right? If I act this way, then I can get through this hard thing. The problem lies not in doing that, in acting a certain way to get through a tough situation, but it's when we get stuck in that way of acting and we miss out on being in our true authentic self. So the way to do that is to heal from those past traumas so that we can experience a new fullness in who we really are. Is this making sense so far? Okay. I'm not used to just talking. I'm used to listening. That's my job normally. <laughs> ah, thank you. So what can we do to overcome these adversities that we all face in life? And how do we enhance our sense of well-being, feeling good about ourselves? The first thing is having this awareness, right? That your thoughts, your feelings, and how you behave, they're all connected. And they're influenced by a core beliefs that you hold about yourself. So a core belief is influenced by something early in your life experience, and then it gets reinforced the longer you live in that same pattern of thinking, feeling, and doing. For example, let's think of Emily again. Emily's core belief is that she's not worthy of love. If she doesn't work hard for love and protect it vigilantly, she'll lose it. And she does. So the cycle perpetuates itself in her life. Karen's core belief is that she is inadequate. Her value is tied to her achievements or her kids' achievements. If her achievements aren't good enough, if they're not noticed, she feels inadequate. If people find out about David, her not thriving son, she's an inadequate mother. If her housework isn't praised, she's an inadequate wife. If she fails at work, she's an inadequate worker. See where I'm going here? Will, his core belief is that he's a failure. He couldn't manage to prevent his dad from drinking and he felt he needed to stay in the family business to help his parents. He chose not to go to college. He feels like a failure for not keeping his options open. He doesn't talk about his feelings with his wife because he doesn't know how, and now he feels like a failure of a husband. Here's a breakthrough thought. We don't have to believe everything we think. Sounds simple, right? But it goes so deep. 
when we realize that we are worthy, right? We are honorable. We are deserving to live a life of belonging, of connection. That's when we can disrupt these patterns. So how do we do this? The first thing I'd like to suggest is to practice self-compassion. Have you heard that term before? Yeah, it's kind of a term that's out there more these days. Self-compassion. Here's a question you can ask yourself. How did the past influence who I am today? Keep an open mind as you ask yourself that question. Try to answer it without falling into a victim mode. Woe is me. That was awful. Instead, rather seek to understand how you coped in that and what you learned in that experience. So that's giving yourself a lot of compassion, right? And then what you want to do is practice feeling your feelings without judgment. This is a big one here. I talk about it with people all the time, and it's surprising how hard that can be to do. So we want to start by identifying what it is I'm feeling. Can we get in touch with that? Checking in with yourself. What am I feeling? Name it. Is it grief? Is it frustration? Is it disappointment? Is it sadness? Is it insecurity? Is it fear? There's the good ones too, but usually it's the hard ones that we struggle with, right? Like, like what I've just mentioned. And name them. Then recognize, how do I feel that feeling in my body? Worry or anxiety is a common one, right? I think almost everyone I see reports having some anxiety. What does that feel like in your body? Does it feel like a tightness in your chest? Does it feel like hot, sweaty hands, like I had before coming up here? <laughs> does it feel like um, dizziness? You know, what, what does it feel like? so that you can recognize when it's starting to come. And then recognize and realize that that's okay. It's okay that I feel this way. All feelings are actually okay. We don't like to feel the bad feelings, the bad <laughs> negative feelings, but they're okay and they're actually important for us to feel. <clears throat> so that's the non-judgment part, right? So when we are able to experience our emotions fully, that's what makes us fully alive, when we can feel our sadness, right? Maybe we've lost someone. That is, that is a grief, that is a sadness. We need to feel that to also then be able to feel joy, right? The opposite feeling. So when we allow ourselves to go there, we can be free from that. So we won't, don't wanna judge it, right? A, a feeling comes up. We don't want to say, oh, I shouldn't be feeling sad. That was so long ago, right? Erase that word from your vocabulary, should and shouldn't, right? It's okay if you're feeling sad if someone has left you long ago. That's just how you're feeling. Pay attention to it. Because the reality is that your feelings come and your feelings go. Think about that. Right? Do you ever stay in the same feeling 100% of the time? No. They come and they go. So 
we know that what we're sitting with at the moment is not going to stay with us forever, but just for a time. So we want to practice getting comfortable sitting with the feeling and not trying to escape it. Once you become a little bit better at that, let's go a step further. Can we become curious about our feelings? What would that look like? To turn towards your sadness and be curious about it. And ask yourself, what is this feeling saying to me? What we're doing here is we're connecting our feelings with some thoughts, right? Now, when we are able to identify what is the feeling saying, so for example, um, I'll use worry for example. What's my worry saying? Oh, I'm worried that I'm going to completely blank out when I'm talking to everybody <laughs> and forget what I'm going to say. How likely is that? Good thing I brought some notes today. Right? Oh, I'm feeling better now. I've acknowledged the worry. I've Notice the thought, I've challenged the thought, I'm moving through it. So connecting to our current emotion, we can gather information that will help to inform us what to do to help ourselves when we're feeling something that's uncomfortable. Maybe we need to express it. Again, things with sadness, sometimes people feel like, oh, I can't cry about it, I don't want to cry. Crying is good. You want to get those tears out. You want to express the sadness, the frustration, the disappointment. Maybe we need to challenge a thought, right? If the sadness is saying, you're just not good enough, no one will ever want to be with you. We need to challenge that. Well, for Emily's case, she's had a string of boyfriends. They all wanted to be with her, right? That doesn't support that thought, right? The reality is that not all of our thoughts are true. If we don't step into these feelings and get curious, do you know what happens? They keep bugging us. It's kind of like your kid when they're showing you a cartwheel and if you're not looking, they keep bugging you and saying, look at this, look at this, look at this, then finally you say, oh, good cartwheel. And then they move on and they can go do something else. With your feelings, when you acknowledge them, when you turn towards them, when you do the work of sitting with them, connecting them to some thoughts, maybe challenging those thoughts a little bit, they feel like they've been heard. They don't need to keep bugging you. They feel like they've served their purpose by giving you some information about how you're doing. And then they can kind of float away for a bit. They might come back, but they're feeling more, you're feeling more comfortable with yourself and able to, to do that. Does that make sense? Okay. So when we do that, we actually clear the channel so that we can have new thoughts and feelings. The next part I'd like to suggest is how we can connect back to ourselves. This is the goal. So we've created some other personas, some other ways of being to cope with the situation. It's not working very well for us anymore. 
So what we want to do is we want to acknowledge how these different parts of ourselves have been helpful to us. So for example, Emily's part that she was striving, you know, the part where she's striving too hard to win love and affection, right? Because she was attempting to meet a very valid human need of love and belonging. That's important. That part was trying to do that for her. Karen's part was good at school. It gave her a place there. She felt safe. It was something she could control. It also opened the door for her, for the new stable career that she has. Will's part, that's loyal to his family, kept his family business going and provided for them. It's not all bad, is it? When we can thank the, our different parts, our personas, for the role that they played, helping us through that tough situation in our past, remind yourself that you're not in that situation anymore. That part doesn't need to keep being so active anymore. It clears some space up for you to go back to a more authentic self. We don't need to keep acting in this way anymore. So the other goal, besides feeling the feelings and getting curious about them, is to get familiar with yourself. You as your best friend, really, right? Knowing who you are, all the parts of yourself, all the feelings and experiences that you've had in your life are a part of what makes you who you are today. So try to stay curious about that, compassionate with yourself, as you explore those different parts and appreciate how they have come together. So what I've explained to you today about bouncing back from adversity and enhancing your sense of well-being, these ideas are just brief snippets, but they're based in um, therapeutic practices that are widely used. Any of you who have accessed counseling before might be familiar with cognitive behavior therapy, right, CBT. Very, very helpful in adjusting your thinking um, so that you can feel more freely yourself, CBT. And another one is called internal family systems, and that's the parts therapy, where you're looking at the different parts of yourself and where they came from, how they're contributing to your life, and how to kind of shift that around to, so you can feel like you have more of yourself and less of your parts acting on behalf of yourself. And then the other uh, aspect that I shared a little bit with you is, is this mindfulness idea. Maybe you've heard that term around as well. Um, and the part about mindfulness that I really like to emphasize with people that helps you feel better about your life experiences is to feel your feelings without judging them and to try to stay in the moment with them because they will pass. So imagine if you were to disrupt some of your patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving that just aren't working for you anymore. How would your life be different? What would it take to uproot some of the limiting core beliefs and replace them with more realistic thoughts about yourself? Some people do this work in counseling. Some people do it on their own, through reading, journaling, praying, coming to this conference. Whatever energy you invest in this kind of personal growth not only benefits you, but also everyone you're in relationship with, right? 
the more authentically living you are, the more you're encouraging and inviting that to the people around you and the healthier we all are. So what can you begin to do differently tomorrow that would increase your sense of well-being? Practice some self-compassion. Start noticing and feeling your feelings without judgment. Maybe you need to get curious about a common feeling that keeps nigging, niggling at you and decide if you need to challenge a thought behind it. Or maybe you need to validate that feeling. Identify a part of yourself that may not be serving you well anymore and take some steps to uh, get back to your authentic self. And ultimately, we want to connect back to ourselves and give ourselves the love and validation that you might have been missing or waiting for other people to give you. I'm open for questions now. <laughs> I'll let you think about that a little bit. It's on. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's on. If anyone has a question, just put your hand up and I can bring the microphone to you. Anybody, anybody? Yeah. Oh, she's good. What I found really helpful, Darcy, is to everybody hear that? Yeah, I think that's good too um, when you are communicating with people using I, right? Because, um, you know, you're speaking on your own behalf. So it, when someone offends you, for example, instead of saying, you offended me when you said this or that, you say, I'm feeling really uh, offended or I'm feeling really hurt when you said that. So yeah, using the I kind of owns it, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, that's true. Thank you, Anna. Anybody else? I think I got your, I'm Wolf Lund. Um, uh, your, your presentation was pretty clear, but uh, so often in a person's difficulties, uh, they are complicated because of use of drugs and alcohol. And uh, it seems much harder for a person who is affected that way to get from, from A to B. So, you know, in, in the process of, of recovery, does one have to treat, say, the, the addiction or the alcoholism first? Uh, then proceed to business of self-improvement, or do you try and tackle them together? Um, just interested in your views on that. 
Yes, thank you. Um, I would say that I would say that addiction is a behavior, right, in a reaction to probably an earlier trauma. So the healing comes in identifying the trauma and healing that, right? It's not so much about the behavior. That's just indicative of whatever suffering the person is trying to cope with. So, you know, it, and that's, you know, I think it's true. I, I know that in the short time of explaining things, it's, it's often the case for most people that they need to work with someone for a while to get to some of these core beliefs, to get to some of these traumas and to do that, that healing. It's not something we just do in a quick conversation or a one minute thought. So it, it is a process, but I, I would say that for, for addictions, that there is a root there that we want to look at, like a cause because the addiction is a behavior that's trying to meet a need, right? It's trying to cope with a pain. Does that answer your question? Usually, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing because the person will have a difficulty, then will resort to mm -hmm. just to help to deal with what yeah. they think is the pain, you know, it seems to be fairly complicated. I yeah. ran into this a lot when I was in the service, but people with problems and they would get exacerbated within a family when they both start drinking. Yes. Uh, you know, so it, uh, it just seemed to have a, a snowball effect and uh, it was always very difficult to try and reverse that. Mm -hmm. uh, that reverse that syndrome uh, because what do, you, what do you treat first? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the depression mm -hmm. or the addiction? which may be a result of the depression or mm -hmm. the other way around. I would say the depression. Yeah. Anybody else? Can I do a little follow-up on that one? Yeah. Um, I think maybe even in the root of how do we encourage, and um, we're talking about self-work, self um, but how about encouraging similar sentiments about what you, you are expressing to share with other people? Obviously not prescribing something, of saying you need to do some work, <laughs> but how do we even communicate like to try and encourage somebody to access that, like why do you feel this way or why are those behaviors coming up? Oh, sorry, saying how do we encourage people to get some help? Or even like practice some of these things themselves. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, it's also assessing people's readiness for change, right? Sometimes we can see clearly for other people what we think they need, but they might not see it and they might not be ready for that. So I think that there's, there's always the messaging of, you know, you, that, that there's help for that or that there's, would you like to talk to somebody or this seems like it's really troubling you, you know, can we get connected with someone? Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's, I think it's also a living it out yourself, right? And, and um, being authentic about where you're at, that sometimes, you know, with that whole me mental health movement, even with social media, the more people talk about their stories and how, what they're experiencing and how they're dealing with that, I think it really normalizes our experiences. It's not being so, feeling so isolated, like something's really wrong with me. And so I think that, you know, being able to have that as part of our regular conversation and checking in with people, not just for their sake, but also for our sake, and it just normalizes talking about how we're really doing. 
So I don't know if I answered that question completely, but we can encourage people to get more help, but they have to be ready to do that. So it's really just staying hopeful, I guess, and encouraging for them to do that. But you know, at the end of the day, it's also really a, an acceptance that you are only in control of yourself. There's no one else you actually can control. So, you know, you can spend a lot of time worrying about somebody else and how they're doing and wanting to get them well. And I would, I would challenge you to, to ask yourself, what am I maybe avoiding in my own life by focusing on helping that other person get better? Because there's always stuff we could be doing to help ourselves and that actually might be more helpful for the other person too. Thanks for your patience and the goose chase. Appreciate it. Thank you. I like what you said, Darcy, about the um, more awareness on mental health. And you're right, I think people are talking about it a lot more. Do you think that there's, or does just statistics show that there's more stress and more anxiety that people are dealing with now? Or is it just because we have more awareness of it? That's a really good question. I think it's a combination of things. I'd say, let's look at what is the stress and anxiety saying? Are we too busy? Are we trying too hard to do it all, to be all? And how's that working for us? So, I mean, anxiety and stress are not all bad either, right? You wanna have some anxiety or you would be hit by a car crossing the street. You don't care about the speed that they're going at, right? You, it's not that they're all bad, it's just keeping things kind of in check. So I think when anxiety is really on the rise, it's because things are not in check. They're not in balance. They haven't, you know, it's, your alarm system is just thinking everything is a danger. And that's usually indicative of some kind of a, of a trauma. And when I say trauma, I don't mean you have been horribly abused or neglected or living in poverty, although those are all traumatic, it can even be as simple as not being validated for who you are, right? For having a feeling that you're a disappointment to someone, that you're not living up to their expectations. That's a trauma. And that informs a core belief that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy of love. So. Yeah, I, I think that anxiety is just a symptom of a deeper cause, like a, an unsettling, unsettledness with yourself and your place in the world. I mean, and I'm, I'm talking, you know, this, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of breadth with anxiety, right? People, there's people that are diagnosed with anxiety disorders that, you know, that there's, there's chemical imbalances, there's, there's things that need to be addressed with medication as well. Um, but I would still say it's symptomatic of something earlier on. And so it's just doing that work and digging and being curious and getting healing from that. Does that answer? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just wondered uh, how do you tie this into uh, being being a a, a Christian? Um, uh, don't we use the resources that we have through Christ in dealing with this, or is it mainly 
just psychological, doing it by ourselves. Well, I think you have a, a huge um, benefit to having a faith, right? Being a Christian, because you, you know, even when we talked about the core beliefs, like I'm not worthy of love, for example, as Christians, we have God's truth that tells us otherwise, right? So when we're shifting our core beliefs that are unrealistic and untrue to something that's more realistic and more true, you can, you can back that up with scripture, yeah. right? So, um, and definitely the, the healing power of God is the most powerful thing. So you, if you're able to come before God and, I, and say, look, I'm struggling in this area, I need some healing and, you know, and, and of course inviting God in to help with that is, I think it's all part of that, absolutely. It's our awareness, right? It's just, it's like, instead of just thinking we're stuck, it's realizing that you're, you don't have to be stuck. You can become more aware and you can do things to help yourself, like calling on your faith, like getting some counseling, feeling your feelings, all the things that I said, right? So I think it's a huge advantage to have faith and a positive message from God to help us with that. Anybody else? This is the quietest this church has ever been. <laughs> you want over here? <laughs> okay. Just following up on the last question a little bit more, where or how do Christians contort their faith to that uh, in a way that is a hindrance when they're coming to counseling or what barriers do we sometimes bring that uh, maybe impede the counseling process? That's a good question. Um, hmm. Barriers, using your, like your faith as a barrier? Yeah. Well, maybe sometimes we think as Christians we should have it all together and we shouldn't be struggling with mental health because God should just heal us from that. But you know, I always say mental health is like any other health, right? Sometimes you go through cancer. You get the treatment you can for it, but it's something you go through and it's just as valid. So sometimes I think, um, you know, that the whole healing thing too comes into like, oh, if I'm not healed, do I not have enough faith or all that kind of stuff that comes up. So I think sometimes we think we have to have it all together or we should just need to pray harder and why isn't that working? That can be a barrier. If we feel like our lives are not living up to what we think God's expectations are of us, that can cause a kind of unique kind of a depression, right? We are letting God down. Lots of things, really, yeah. I think that uh, just the holistic awareness of who we are, that it's all connected, spiritually how we're doing, emotionally, mentally, physically, it's all connected. So it really is good to take a whole lens of how am I looking at my life and how is that serving me? Or if it's not serving me, what do I need to do about it? Yeah?
Wow. Well, praise God that you were able to break that pattern and be free from that. Yeah. 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 None of us live in isolation, right? We're all, it's all about connection. And I think that a lot of our suffering has to do with feeling disconnected from yourself and from others. And ultimately that interferes with your connection with God, right? It's so it's that, that key of connection. How do I reconnect to myself? How do I turn inwards and develop more compassion, love and acceptance for myself? When we do that, we also can do that for others. Isn't that great, you know, when we can be compassionate and loving and accepting of others. So usually when we're treated poorly, you know, you can ask yourself, how are they doing? Probably not very well that they are treating me this way. This is likely how this person feels about themselves. So, yeah. Thanks, Anna. Anybody else? I had a quick question for you. So what happens when somebody's going through a season in their lives that where at one point they were on fire for God and they were, but they based it on an emotion as opposed to true faith because things as during this conference, we're talking about perseverance. You're going to go through suffering and the suffering will affect your well-being. Mm -hmm. Now, this person's saying that, okay, um, God is seeing me through a uh, season now, but why is he putting me through this? Now, at what point do you separate it from, say, the um, emotional, say, well-being part of that to the spiritual well-being? How do you connect the two there? I don't know if I would differentiate. I think it's just about a view of how, how you view life. Um, when we ask ourselves, why is God putting me through this? I, I think that's a when we look at it that way, we feel like God is punitive or uncaring. And so I think that it's rather just a worldview of, this is the world we live in. Life is not fair in this world. When things happen to anyone, we can't ask the question, why? Although we do all the time, because, but it ends up, we end up scratching our heads. Rather, we can ask, well, what now? The why question's frustrating, right? Because we will make up stories mm -hmm. and those stories become our truth. And then that really makes it harder for us to get through that season. So <clears throat> I would ask, well, what now? I'm going through this season. Let's normalize that. Everyone goes through difficult seasons in life. Often when we're going through a tough season, we'll look around and think everyone else seems to be doing well. <laughs> Look at their life, look at their life. They're, everybody's in relationships, I'm not. You know, we always notice everybody's pregnant, I'm not. Like, it, it's, it's what we focus on, right? So I think that when we can really um, grasp that life is not fair, that hard times do come to everyone, then it's less about why is God letting this happen to me and more about, well, what do I do now? I need to feel my feelings. I need to be compassionate with myself. I need to connect. All of those things. 
Does that answer your question somewhat? There's more to it. I know there's a lot to it. I know, I know. Especially, yeah, seasons of life. They are interesting. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to be said about that. If you, if you have a story about that that's like, oh, maybe God is testing me, what now? <laughs> you know, do I respond to that then? How do I respond to that if that's what I'm telling myself? So getting curious, right? Getting curious about what's going on while you're there and how to, how to move through it. That's the reality is I'm, I'm feeling this way now. I'm in this tough season right now. I will not always be here. That is the truth. Anyone who's been through a hard season knows this. You move through it. You, you do. Life goes on. You either have done some healing for it and grown from it and are stronger and feeling more confident or you're hobbling along. <laughs> but you do get through hard seasons and then there's other seasons. And in fact, the more work you do in those hard seasons of processing that, I think the more fruitful the other seasons are because you see such a contrast. Anybody else? I think you kind of just touched on, on what I was going to ask is in those hard seasons, one of the questions that I usually ask is, what's the lesson I need to learn from this? Because mm -hmm. otherwise it seemed to go through them again and again, you know, the same thing. Maybe a different picture around it, but usually the same, same, same sort of circumstances, right? Yeah. So I think you were touching on that a That's little bit. That's good. There. What yeah. can I learn from this? And what can I do to help myself in this hard season? Maybe this is a time I need to slow down a little, take some more time for myself. Maybe I need to connect to some people who I feel like are doing pretty well. You know, being really gentle with yourself when you're going through a hard time. Um, what are the steps someone would take if they felt they needed counseling? Um, and do you think, uh, for male, it's better to have a male counselor, or does that matter? Um, that's really a, just a personal preference, right? Everybody's different. It depends on what you feel comfortable with. But um, I'd say when, if you feel like counseling might be a good option for you, which I believe is good for absolutely everyone, not just because I'm a counselor, but I've done counseling myself, and it's just been so helpful to me is to find someone who you feel you really connect with, that you feel you can trust. Um, yeah, that you just, you just feel like, yeah, I can trust them. They, they seem to really listen to me and have some good insights for me. So sometimes it's really just kind of looking around or asking people like who they've seen that they felt was helpful. That can also be a really good way. Yeah, but kind of doing your homework. Sometimes counselors will offer um, a, a brief phone conversation or something to chat first before actually booking an appointment. But I think most counselors are online now and they have websites. So you can also read their biography or their little write-ups and get a sense of what they're about. So yeah, I would encourage that, of course, for anyone. It's great. 
I learn so much doing my job, walking with people in their journeys. I learn from people as they overcome things, as they get new insights, and um, I, I feel like I kind of benefit from being able to, to do that. So it's really, it's really neat. And you know, that's what we're doing in community here. You know, when you're walking in life with someone, right, it's just being there, right? It's not about offering advice even. It's just saying like, yeah, that is hard, what you're going through. I'm here for you. What do you need? That kind of a thing. Anybody else? Last kind of opportunity. Oh, right beside. I was thinking for a while. Um, I think specifically, like for me in a lot of relationships that I have with other guys, um, they are scared to talk about their feelings and I think they realize certain things. Um, like for me, I'm like, I'm a total feeler. Like I cannot hide how I feel. I will like, I will die. Not literally, but you know what I mean? Um, like what would you say is a positive and like almost like not super confrontational way to, to open a dialogue that doesn't like totally overwhelm? Cause for me, I'd be like, let's sit down. Like let's have coffee and just like blah. But like, what's a way that you find is like, just not, you know, like too much, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, because you're more than ready to talk about your feelings yeah. and, and you notice that they might not be. Yeah, so I don't know. I think maybe starting with like topics that aren't too personal and I think um, also realizing that not everybody is going to be as comfortable as you, but when you model that for them, they might say, oh, this guy's comfortable talking about his feelings, maybe I could explore that. So I think being patient too, is that everybody's kind of different on their journey of comfortable, comfortableness of talking about feelings, especially if, you know, for many of us, we really need to feel like we know that person to talk about some of those things. So I think really putting in the time and building trust is also important. 